Well, on this Memorial Day weekend, I would uh, ask, please, that if, if you have served in our armed services or are serving, would you please stand so we can say thank you and recognize you. Please stand. Thank you for the privilege of being um, able to live in a land of freedom where we have had a legacy of standing for and protecting for those who cannot protect themselves. That's part of our tradition, and we thank you for that. We thank you for uh, these men and women who have served and are serving, and we pray that you would bless our armed services we pray for our leaders we pray for our president our commander-in-chief and we ask lord that you would bring to power men and women all over our uh, armed services who understand the importance of um, acknowledging that you are and you have spoken and they would live accordingly so thank you lord um, bless those who are in harm's way today in jesus name amen well, church, please, please hear this. Three weeks from today is, is what? Three, yeah, three weeks. Father's Day. Father's Day, the most important day of the year. <laughs> Father's Day. Okay. And uh, Father's Day, which is June the 16th, we're going to go to a summer schedule. Please hear me. Summer schedule. We're going to go to two worship service times at 9.30 and 11, okay, 9.30 and 11. So that means that some of you in three weeks will, will forget and you'll be here 15 minutes early or so. And some of you will still be here five minutes late. I can't understand that, but you will be. So it's gonna be, listen, it's Father's Day, the most important day of the year. <laughs> uh, summer schedule, 9.30 and 11. Here and in the gym, 9.30 here, and in the gym at 11, okay? And I'll make that announcement every week so that um, I, I will be guiltless when you forget it on the 16th, okay? So we're going back to First Peter. We're going to be dealing with this issue of the church. We took a break from First Peter, talked about God's good design. Now we're going back to First Peter, talking about the church for a few Sundays, the book of 1 Peter is addressed to a people who were in the midst of or going into a persecution. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you greatly rejoice in your salvation, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed or grieved by various trials. And he says later in chapter 4 and verse he says, so with respect to this, with respect to your sexual purity, they are surprised when you do not join them, the, the culture around them, join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They make fun of you. They, they chastise you. They belittle your character. That's trials. Those are difficult times. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial 
when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And so this is, trials are part of the Christian faith. Trials are part of being a minority culture in Asia Minor. He says, verse 17, Therefore, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So he says, you know, hard times, trials, persecutions, they malign your character. These things are part of living in a fallen world, a not perfect world. This, this is what happens when you live in a world is, that's on this side of heaven and this side of the fall. It's, that, that's, it's battles and blessings. It is this mixed bag. And then, so he's, then he says, so, chapter 5, verse 1, so, I, I exhort the elders among you, the shepherds, I, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, guide, guard, feed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory so because of the fiery trials because judgment is going to fall upon us so so i exhort you so so god says fiery trials are coming difficult days will come how how, how does the Believers stand firm. God gives us the church. God gives us leaders who feed and shepherd and guide on all types of levels. If you're going to stand firm, he says, you've got to be vitally involved in the church. You've got to understand that there are shepherds and guides who watch over you, who must give an account to God. How do you stand firm? So, therefore, I exhort the elders. I exhort, exhort the, the presbyteros, I, the episcopos. I, I, I exhort these people. How do you stand? You get involved in the church. You're in accountable relationships. That's next week. You're, see, there's a man born in Beaufort, South Carolina. His name was Smoking Joe Frazier. He went on to win a gold medal as a heavyweight fighter in the Olympics and became the undisputed champion of heavyweight boxer in the world. And Smoking Joe, I saw him one time. I stood next to him. He was only about 5'10", but he had a net three feet wide. And he had traps that were just, I mean, just, just huge. But if you ever watched him fight, he would, he would just stand there and take it. And he'd work his way into your body. And he would start beating you in your body. And then when you were tired, and he had, he had this left hook. And there's all types of stories about how he developed this left hook. 
working in, as a sharecropper's son in, in the fields of Beaufort. He had this left hook that would put you to sleep. Bam. And it was over. This left hook. If you are a follower of Christ and you're not vitally involved in the church with meaningful relationships, understanding you should sit under the preaching and teaching and exhortation and small groups and worship uh, of, of people set apart, then it's like fighting Joe Frazier with your right arm tied behind your back. You're dead. Seriously. So how, you step back and say, how in the world do we, do we bear up under this incredible onslaught of problems and issues and evil and persecutions? Peter says, so I exhort you. So I exhort the elders, be shepherds of the flock of God under your care. So I exhort. So I'm going to go through this passage. And I think there is embedded in this a biographical sketch that helps us understand the very top of this passage, that helps us understand what it means to be uh, someone who leads others on any, any level in the church. Peter starts off like this. He says, so, so I exhort you, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He makes three statements about his life. He says, I'm a fellow elder, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and I'm going to be one who partakes in the glory that's going to be revealed. So I think here are, are the seeds of true leadership, whether you're a leader in the home or a leader in the community group or a leader as a deacon or an elder or a pastor or, or a small group leader, whatever you do, any type of spiritual leadership, here are the, the seeds of true spiritual leadership. Number one, he says, I, I appeal to you, I exhort you, I come alongside you as a fellow elder. Now, this just shows me Peter's humility. I remember, you know, remember Matthew 16, Jesus says to his men, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say that you're this. Some people say that you're that. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And it says, Peter stood forward and he says, your name is Christ, and you are the son of the living God. You're Messiah. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Peter, which means rock. Rock. That's a good name, rock. Better than daffodil or daisy, you know. You shall be called daisy, you know. Rock, see. Your name shall be called Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, some people say, well, does that mean upon Peter? Does that mean upon Peter's confession? I, I, I don't know. Peter was the chief spokesman of the apostolic band. Upon your profession and upon the teaching that will flow from these men inspired by the Holy Spirit, I will build my church. And Peter could have said, I appeal to you as Peter the rock, the chief spokesman, but he doesn't. Because Peter knows what happens next in Matthew 16. Jesus took them aside and he said, you know, men, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. 
I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. And he says, Peter took him aside and said, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. I'm not going to let it happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, what? Satan. <laughs> You're a hindrance to me. Boom. You go from the rock to Satan. Maybe within an hour. And so Peter in humility says, I'm just, I'm just a fellow elder. I'm a fellow teacher. And he says, he says, you know, he says, men, he says, we need to shepherd the church. See, when Peter was reinstated, and I'll tell you about it in a minute, Peter was reinstated in John 21 after Christ was resurrected, and he appeared to Peter, and he says, and, and to the disciples, and they had breakfast together, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You've denied me. Now, do, do you love me more than these? Do you phileo me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. Guard them, guide them. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter says, I'm just a fellow elder. I'm a fellow elder. And then he says this. I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. A witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I think what he's saying there is, church, listen to me. He says, you know, I, I was there when Christ was betrayed. I saw the high priest's ear cut off. I had something to do with that. And Christ healed him. But before that, I was there at Gethsemane when the Lord said, watch and pray and just abide with me. And Christ, the Savior, prayed and he prayed in such a fashion and with such energy that he dropped sweats of blood. And I was sleeping. Now, I say to people frequently, who are your two o'clock in the morning friends? I say to the men, who are your two o'clock in the morning Waffle House friends? Who do you call at two o'clock in the morning and say, my world is crashing, I need to have a cup of coffee with somebody? Peter, James, and John were the 2 a.m. Waffle House friends for Jesus, and they blew it. Peter says, I, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Let me read Mark 14. Mark 14, 69 through 72 says this. It's about the betrayal of Christ. And this, the servant girl, just a servant girl, guys, a servant girl, not the high tribunal judge from the Spanish Inquisition, not a Nazi goon, a servant girl, just a servant girl. A servant girl said, saw Peter and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, one of the Jesus people. 
But again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders, just people standing around, just again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them. You are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And was a bystander said, so, no, you're a Galilean. And he began to call down curses. May I be cursed to hell. May I be damned to hell if I'm one of those guys. It's a bystander. It's a servant girl. It's not under duress and torture and an inquisition. And I think Peter remembered that every day of his life as he celebrated the forgiveness of sin. He remembered. And, and then the third seed of being a good leader is... And I am one who is going to experience the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter says, a, a, a great day is coming. It's called heaven. And so throughout this book, he talks about the glory of heaven. Chapter 1, verse 13 says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope completely Remember the glory of heaven. He says in verse 17 of chapter, chapter 1, he says, and, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each man's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He says, you know, a great day is coming and we're going to give an account. And then he closes his book in chapter 5, verse 10, he says, and and, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he says, if you want to be a, a good leader, a Jesus-like leader, you remember that a day is coming called the day of glory. A day of glory. And so how does it work itself? Listen, fellow elder, you remember your calling in Christ. In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, First Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, God's chosen people, scattered throughout Asia, Asia Minor. This is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. See, we rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice that when we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, God made us alive. And he says in chapter 2, he says, people stumble over Christ. They stumble over the gospel message. But then he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people of God, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who opened your eyes? The Holy Spirit. Under the preaching and teaching and communication of the cross of Jesus. So, so we are fellow 
exiles. We are called unto Christ. He says on the basis of that, he says, I, I, I implore you to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. What's the ground of obedience? The glory of Christ. Behold what Christ has done. Not, I just went to a family reunion type of thing. And you see people you know and you grew up with, or you went to high school with in some cases, if they can still, you know, get around. Getting, those people are getting old. And uh, you just sit back and you look at your life. And you go, you know, the Lord has been good. The Lord has been good. Why, why, why is it? Well, the Lord is good. Now, I think back to like Psalm 139. It just talks about God made us in our mother's womb, knitted us together in our mother's womb. But he says this in verse 5. He says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Do you ever stop and say, I'm not sure you do. God, you've hemmed me in. There are countless times when I could have gone down the path to destruction, but I did not because you gave mercy. There are countless times I could have done this, but I did not. And when I did do that, you disciplined me in fatherly love with tears, and you brought me back. Thanks be to God. You, you, you hemmed me. You hemmed me in then. You're hemming me in now. Behold the tender mercies of God. Behold the greatness of my salvation. Behold what Christ has done for me. Behold, behold. I've been singing this hymn this week. I just, it says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is written on his heart. My name is graven on his hands. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Behold the goodness of Christ. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, and it is there, it's there for all of us. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all of my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And I just, I, I think that Peter is, is saying here, don't forget the glory of the cross. things here this this guy is i really like this guy hudson taylor founder of china inland mission hudson taylor goes to china he's there for 12 years plus and he loves the lord he, he loves um He, he, he buries a daughter, and, and the pathos 
of what he poured out when he buried his daughter will, will make the strongest person weep. And he's just at, at a point of deep discouragement. Really deep discouragement. He's already gone through a period of depression. Deep, deep discouragement. And he starts corresponding with this guy from Scotland named McCartney. And, and this guy's talking about the gospel. He's just talking about the gospel. And he says, the key is understanding that it's all the work of Christ. It's all the work of Christ. Your standing is the work of Christ. Your growth in the Lord is the work of Christ's spirit in you, energizing you. It is all the work of Christ. And when you read Andrew Murray's biographies and his letters, there, there, came, there was a turning in his life here. He's been on the field for 15 years. I mean, he, there was a turning in his life, and, and he wrote a series of letters. And this is just an excerpt from one letter. He says, he says, how do you have your faith increase? Only by thinking of all that Jesus is and all that he is for us. His life, his death, his work, he himself has revealed to us in the word to be the subject of our constant thoughts, not us striving to have faith, but a looking to the faithful one seems all that we need. It is a resting in the loved one entirely for time and eternity. Now, he doesn't mean that you sit back and do nothing. This guy was a guy of action. But I read that and I'm going, you know, I, you have to understand this. It's, it's, it's easy, even if you've been a Christian for 30 years and you've trusted in Christ 30 years, it's easy to start looking at your performance instead of the cross. It's easy to start looking at your list of do's and don'ts instead of the fulfillment of all the requirements of the law and the person of Christ. And, and it's easy to start substituting our performance for the glory of the cross. And, and when you do that, your joy is gone. When you do that, you forget the gospel. And I'll just plead with you. I mean, I plead with myself. Do not forget the gospel of grace. And that's, I think that's why Peter says here, I, I, am a, I, I, I am a witness of the sufferings of, the, of Christ. I know this. And that's why this hymn is said, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, it's all there. It's all there for me. And if we're to lead well, we always remember, lead in, in the home, in our community groups, wherever we're leading, we always remember the gospel of grace. And then thirdly, Peter says here, I, I remember the hope of heaven. I, I just remember the hope of heaven. I remember that when the chief shepherd appears, he will give us an unfading crown of glory. Unfading crown of glory. Every trophy, every piece of clothing you've received ultimately is fading. It's fading. unfading crown of glory. And so here's, here's my key thought. As we delight in all that Christ is and has done for us, then we bless other people. We delight in order to be a blessing, in part. We delight so that we can serve out of the overflow. And that's what Peter's saying here. And he goes on and says this very quickly. He says, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Guard them, guide them, feed them. 
He says three things. Exercise and oversight, not under obligation, but willingly, as God wants you to be. Not, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It says, first of all, it says, not under compulsion, but do it willingly. You do it willingly. Chapter 1 says, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your hearts for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but imperishable. So you, you back up, you say, well, well, as we look at the scripture, and as we look at the, the Peter's statement, how, how do we love people? You pur- purified your souls by, for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love from the heart, since, because you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. See, we, we love when we understand the greatness and the scope and the wonder of our salvation. And that's what Peter says here. That therefore, we do it not under compulsion, but willingly. We don't do it as a, a, a duty. We do it as a delight. God's touched me. God's worked in my life. I'm just going to be a blessing to other people. I, as a delight in Christ, I serve other people. There, there's, there's nothing wrong with duty but it's not as good as delight. Example, you buy, you're, you're married, you're, you're the man, you're married, you, you buy your wife flowers, it's not your anniversary, it's not Mother's Day. You take them home spontaneously, and she says, why did you buy me flowers? And you say, well, um, you know, the, the Bible teaches me that I should cherish you like Christ cherishes and loves the church. And I, I just want to show you that I want to cherish you. And she says, wow, that is really nice. What you're saying is, it's my duty. It's my duty. It's on my checklist this week. I want to check off. I took her something spontaneously. But if you say to her, I'm doing this because, you know, we've been married X years, and you have been faithful and kind and gracious, and you have believed in me when nobody else did, and you have stood beside me, and you've cared for me, and I'm just overwhelmed at the privilege of being married to a woman of your caliber. I, I just love you, man. That works. That's delight. You have a child, and your child, let me make up something, your child plays volleyball. Just a weird example. And they have volleyball tournaments every weekend during the fall when football is being played. And, and just a wild example. And so you go, <laughs> so you, you go to these volleyball games where there are scores of screaming girls making noises and you're just sitting there hour after hour after hour. And your daughter says to you, why, why would you do this? And you say, well... You're, you're my daughter, and uh, yeah, I'm here. Well, they say to you, why, why, why do you sit in this gym in Spartanburg all weekend? All weekend. <laughs> Friday afternoon, Friday night, all day Saturday. Well, why do you do this? And you say, well, listen, two truckloads of jihadists with bazookas 
could not keep me from watching my little girl play volleyball. That works. See? That works. And what I'm saying, church, is that we, we serve people and care for people out of the overflow of our delight in Jesus. That's where we should be. Sometimes you do it out of duty, I know. But, but the, the, the goal is to worship and to love in such a way that, that, that the care for people and praying for people and loving people on every level is, is the overflow of a relationship with, with the Lord. Secondly, he says here, don't do it for shameful gain, but do it eagerly. Some people, even in Peter's day, were, were just charlatans who were telling people what they wanted to hear to get financial gain. But people says, you know, Peter says, do, do, it, do it eagerly. And third, he says, not, not domineering over those entrusted to your care, but be examples to the flock. I said last week, the leader must be a pace setter. A man's got to be a pace setter. You don't domineer over them. You don't, you don't browbeat them. You, you, you're just examples. The, the leadership model is not a four-star general with pearl-handled revolvers who walks, struts around, but your example is a, 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 a savior with a wash basin and a towel. Years ago, there was a series of books by a guy named James Clavell. One of them was very good called Shogun. They made it into a miniseries. And it talks about how the West came to Japan and how a group of Spanish or Portuguese, I've forgotten, sailors were in Japan and they wanted to turn around. And, and the priest wanted to stay and establish the, the, an outpost of, of Christianity. And the sailors were about to mutiny and turn around and go back. And as they approached the priest... He pulled out of his Cossack, he pulled this huge cross, and he said, if you take one more step towards me, if you turn this, boat, this ship around, I will consign you to hell forever and ever. And they stopped. And I thought, that would be cool. You know, they will say, you know, it's a difficult person. You say that again, you're going to go to hell forever. No, that's not biblical. That's not being... You know, our example is a wash basin and a towel, not domineering. And then he says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the crown of glory. One, one issue that I, 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 I fret about, and I think, how can I be, I don't know about you, how can I be more heavenly minded? I want to be heavenly minded. I, I want to realize that everything around me is fading. That this is not eternity. Eternity awaits. That there's a real world. And I want to live on the knife edge of eternity. Where everything around us says, now, 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 now. May God give us the grace to live eternity let's pray lord thank you for the goodness of the cross of christ and lord we are forgetful pilgrims we are we're just forgetful and uh, it's, it's easy even even when you come to worship and even when you're involved in the, the community of faith it's easy it's so easy to read our acceptance ultimately before you not on the basis of the cross, but on the basis of our performance. And God, just forgive us for that. Just forgive us. Uh, it, it's, it's, 
don't, don't let us ever pri practice triumphalism and thinking that we're above other people. Uh, let us think of the example of the Apostle Peter, who instead of saying, Peter the rock, he just said, I'm a fellow elder. And I remind you that I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And when he said that, he realized that, that he had betrayed the Lord. Um, help us to walk in humility. And Lord, help us to live uh, with a sense of, of living on the knife edge of eternity. I, I don't... Uh, help us to celebrate the good gifts of today realizing that there is an eternity that awaits. I, only you can do that in our hearts by the power you bring Holy Spirit. So, so do that, I pray. May your kingdom come in our lives. Thank you for giving us the church. When, when, you know, when, how, how can we stand? How can we be strong? How can we, we be valiant? So I exhort the elders among you gave us relationships. You gave us the church. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.